Go ahead and take out your Bibles and open them to Acts chapter 7. We're going to be starting off in Acts chapter 7. We are continuing in the book of Joshua. We'll make our way there. But before we get there, I wanted to begin with a, a summary of how we got to where we're at in the book of Joshua. And we could summarize it simply by saying that there was God. In the beginning, God created everything, right? He created one man, one woman. He created Adam and Eve. And out of that, God populated the earth that Adam and Eve, they were fruitful and they multiplied. And God chose from that mass of humanity, one man, Abraham, and he set him apart. He made a covenant with this one man, Abraham, and God blessed those descendants of Abraham, and he directed them down to, uh, uh, down to Egypt and delivered them up out of Egypt through the hand of Moses and brought them into the promised land by the hand of, of Joshua. That would be uh, a technically true and I suppose adequate way of summarizing how we've gotten to where we're at. The problem with that summary though is it's, it's really clean, right? It, it's very, very high view. And it's really clean. It doesn't really get into the, the mess and the mire of mankind and how utterly sinful we are and the real trudge that it was to, to get to that point. It glosses over quite a bit, to simply put it that way. And so I want to go to Acts chapter 7 and see how uh, Stephen, as he's giving this same account of these events, he doesn't gloss over quite as many things as I did in my summary. He actually highlights some of the, the mess and uh, the, the sinfulness that we see, um, not in a, a Sunday school kind of clean version of the events like I just laid out for us. But let's look at how Stephen summarizes this. Starting in Acts 7, verse 17, he says, But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. It was at this time that Moses was born. And jumping down to verse 23, he says, But when he, Moses, was approaching the age of 40, he entered, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppression for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. So Moses killed this man whom he saw um, oppressing another Hebrew. And then the next day, Moses goes to break up a fight himself. And we read in verse 27 that this man who was fighting, he said, um, but the one who was injuring his brother pushed Moses away saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and he became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And then after this murder that Moses committed and uh, him being called out by one of his fellow countrymen, him fleeing to Midian, uh, some 40 years passed, and later on, God brought him back to lead his people up out of Egypt. 
And it's kind of interesting that that's the, the aspect that Stephen seems to gloss over. The whole Exodus event, he just kind of glosses over it in a verse or two. And then picking up again in verse 39, he says, Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, that is to, to Moses, but repudiated him, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what we do not know what happened to him. At that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. So we see again there was a, a lot of messiness leading up to where we're at in the book of Joshua, that people are wicked and sinful and it's often confusing these interactions between people and amidst people. These are, are real-life people that we're dealing with. Uh, and we'll see that today in our text in Joshua and all throughout the book of Joshua. We're not just dealing with uh, Sunday school, quote-unquote, characters, right? These are real people in real life, and um, I hope that we can see that this morning. All right, now turning back to Joshua. Um, We've been looking for the last couple of weeks at how God has commissioned Joshua, how God has set him out. He's given him a, a, a goal. He's given him a purpose. He's given him something to, to go and do. In fact, he has entrusted Joshua with his very people, the, the chosen people of God, these very people that came out of Abraham, the Jewish people. And we see um, in this transition, in this commissioning, that Moses has, has passed on, right? God was using Moses mightily for many years. They were wandering through the desert for 40 years after being carried up out of Egypt by their, their great leader, Moses. And we see in verse 2 of Joshua 1 that Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, Joshua, cross this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. We see that God is passing the responsibility, passing this baton from Moses to Joshua. This is now Joshua's commission. It is his responsibility to take and to lead these people. And he has some, some big sandals to fill, right? Moses, he was the man. Moses was a guy who came in. He told Pharaoh, you need to let these people go. He performed, God performed many miracles by the hand of Moses, led him up out of Egypt again for 40 years the Israelite people were looking to Moses as their leader, as their chief, as their commander. And now that same mission has been passed on to Joshua to fulfill that same purpose. And we see uh, an encouraging promise from the Lord in verses 3 through 5. It says that God says to Joshua, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. That's quite a promise, right? Wherever you go, it's yours by the, the mouth of God. Verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Well, that's encouraging, right? Straight from the mouth of God, Joshua is given this commission, he's given this blessing, he's given this encouragement that God is going to carry him along just as he carried Moses along for many, many years. And yet, it's interesting that in just 
four verses, the next four verses, God exhorts Joshua three times to be strong and courageous. Three times in those short verses, which causes me to wonder if perhaps Joshua was fearful, right? If he was timid or hesitant, and honestly, who could blame him for being commissioned with this task to lead God's special set-apart people, this very mission that Moses, the the great Moses, right, the patriarch of the Old Testament, who's written essentially everything in our Bible up until this point, uh, Joshua is now being commissioned with his job, and God reminds him three times, be strong and courageous. In verse 6, again in verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Uh, and then once more in verse 9, be strong and courageous. God has commissioned him with this uh, monstrous mammoth of a task and has now reminded him three times to, uh, to not fear, but to uh, be strong, be very courageous. And while Joshua had previously been very optimistic, he was one of the 12 spies who went into the land and he said, well, we, they're, they're big, but we can take that land. Our God is bigger. Uh, remember, this was 40 years ago. This was back when Joshua was a, a wee lad. He was only 40. Now he's 80, right? And uh, Joshua is now standing in this situation. It's not a hypothetical anymore, but he is here at the, the door of the promised land getting ready to enter into the promised land, and he's the one who's being commissioned with this task to lead them. It would be a lot easier for him to say, yeah, Moses, you go ahead and lead them in, but now he is the one who's having to lead them into the promised land, um, which is why I think he could definitely be harboring a, a little bit of fear within him. And as we see God's commissioning of, of Joshua in those first nine verses, uh, we are going to this morning look at Joshua's response to God and how he responds. In verses 10 and 11, we see that Joshua responds to God by obeying God and by delegating and by preparing. Three good responses that we see from Joshua. He responds by obeying, by delegating, and by preparing. We see in verse 10 it says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself. For within three days you were to cross this Jordan, to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. So first off, um, again, we see he's obedient. He is obeying the command of the Lord, despite my speculations that perhaps he might have been fearful, that perhaps he might have been a little bit timid, and that's why God was preparing him beforehand uh, by telling him, don't fear, be strong, be courageous. He obeyed immediately. He went straight out and he listened to what the Lord had done. And that is absolutely commendable, that he jumped straight into action. He didn't try to pull a, a Gideon, right, and say, well, God, are, are you sure? Will you just show me something, right? He didn't test God in any way as, as Gideon did. He uh, set his feet to the task. He didn't absolutely disobey God as Jonah did and flee the other way. Uh, perhaps if God had commissioned Jonah in the same way and he had told him three times, be strong and courageous before he went out, uh, our book of Jonah would have been a little bit shorter, but Joshua didn't respond like Gideon. He didn't respond like Jonah. And I think we could easily sit back and say, well, Joshua, again, he had a, a better example than Gideon and, and Jonah. Joshua, he was looking at Moses, the great Moses, right? 
Well, let me remind you of Moses and how he responded to God when God commissioned him. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3. This is Moses' response when God sent him off. In Exodus 3.17, we see God saying to, to Moses, it says, So I said, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now, please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. And then it goes on, and God talks about this compulsion that he's going to put this king of Egypt under, that he's going to perform miracles. That in fact, the Hebrew people, they're going to leave with the blessing of the Egyptian people. They're going to say, yeah, get out of here. They're going to give them gold, and uh, they will plunder the Egyptians as they're leaving because of the, the great mighty power of God. But look at Moses' response in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So God told Moses, go out and do this thing. And Moses says, yeah, but, but what, if, what if they don't listen? Uh, questioning God, right? And then God goes on. He answers Moses' objection. He says, well, I'll give you a couple of signs, right? This staff that you're holding, uh, you can turn it into a snake. And in fact, you can take your hand, just slip it inside of your cloak, and it will come out leprous. And you can do it reverse, right? You're not going to be stuck with a leprous hand. Do it again. And it'll come out and it'll be clean. You can show them these signs so they will believe you. Well, listen to Moses' response again in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. And verse 14 says, Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. So several times Moses thought it was a good idea to open up his mouth and talk back to God, right? And say, Yeah, but are, are you sure, God? Because... I don't speak that well. How are they going to know? And uh, even after God says, well, I'm going to know. They're going to know because I'm the Lord. He says, please, Lord, now send this message by whomever you will. And God's anger burned against him. Now, again, contrast that with how Joshua responded back in Joshua. Uh, verse 10 of Joshua 1 says, then Joshua commanded the officers. So God commissioned Joshua and right away says, okay, Joshua commanded the officers. So we see he responded First off, by obeying. Second, by, by delegating. He's commanding the officers to go out to command these people. Another lesson that Joshua seems like he learned from Moses. He was a good student. He was paying attention, right? Remember back in Exodus chapter 18, uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he comes to visit and he sees everything that Moses is doing. Moses is standing as a, a judge over the whole nation. If anybody has a problem, they bring that issue before Moses. And Jethro says, what you were doing, that, it's not good. You need to delegate. And so he suggested uh, set up judges over 
thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, and, and Moses did that, and it seemed to work out well for him. Well, Joshua has taken this same model, and he's applied it to uh, how he's going to go out and command these people. He's going out, first of all, in obedience, second of all, by, by delegating. So God has commanded Joshua, go out and lead these people. And Joshua turns to his officers and he says, you go out and you tell these people what they are do, to do. And the officers, they listen to Joshua's command and they are themselves delegating, telling the people to get ready. So he responds by obeying by delegating and by preparing. That's what these people, the, the officers were commanding the people to do in verse 11. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself. And so they were getting these provisions ready. They were gearing up for a fight, for a battle. They're packing their bags, getting ready to go out. However, it's not just a, a physical preparation, but we see a spiritual preparation as well that... Um, Joshua tells them to go, that they are to go in and possess the land which the Lord, their God, is giving to them to possess. He is confidently saying, God has already given us this land. It is ours to go in and possess. Pick up your, your stuff, get packed up, get your, your weapons and your swords. This is ours. We're going to go in. We're going to take possession of it. Now, it's important to, to note that Joshua wasn't a priest, Right? He wasn't the, the spiritual leader of the people. However, uh, he did pick up the, the mantle, and he does possess a, a degree of spiritual leadership. And he has assumed the role of pointing them to God, which is a good thing. He's showing them, this is our God who's promised us this land. We are going to go there. He is, in some aspect, in some respect, leading them in a, a spiritual way. Likewise, Joshua is not the, the king of Israel, and yet he has been tasked with this commission to go out and to lead a nation. We'd be better off to, to understand Joshua and his role more of as a, a general, that he is going out and he is orchestrating God's people. He is gathering together the troops. He is sending them out and, and leading them, even though in some respects he is acting in a, a role of a king and he is leading them in a, a spiritual sense. Uh, overall, he is the, the general of these people, of God's Israelite nation. And we see this, this interesting phrase in verse 11. Um, might not immediately be interesting, but he tells them to prepare these provisions for themselves for within three days here to cross over into the Jordan to possess this land. Well, we see a, a couple other times where this phrase three days is used in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and some people think that those three days are all referring to the same thing. Uh, but I think it's, it's likely a little bit longer than three days that he's dealing with. That um, In chapter 3 is when we're going to take a look at them actually crossing over the Jordan and going to this land. It ends up taking a little bit longer than three days. Some people suggest about seven days. But it's also important to realize that just as Joshua is not a, a priest, that he's not a king, uh, he is also not expl explicitly called a, a prophet in Scripture. And uh, he's not always acting in, in this role. He's not trying to uh, prophesy, but rather he is still preparing and he is still planning. He is trying to communicate his intentions to these people, which is not the same as prophesying. And it, he is not expected to be infallible in his role. He is planning and saying, we're going to go out and we're going to seek to do this in three days. And it seems like it ends up taking 
uh, a little bit longer than that, but he has a plan to go out to, to attack, to do the things that the Lord has commanded him to do. And we know that it's the, the mind of the man who plans his way, but the Lord who directs his steps. And it seems as, to me as if their steps are, are delayed a little bit and they're going out and they're conquering this land. So in, in Joshua's response, his obedient response, which he takes and delegates to go out and to prepare so that they can go in, they can actually take this land, this land that God has given them, that he has promised to them this inheritance. But before they actually take off on this journey, they have a, a detour to make a, a pit stop, stop, so to speak. And we see in, in verse 12 that Joshua is talking to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. These are three tribes of the nation of Israel, three sons from Joshua. And I think we would do well to get a little bit of background on these three tribes before we continue in our text. So turn with me back into the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 32. And we're going to see how God has directed the steps of Gad, Reuben, and this half-tribe of Manasseh. Numbers 32, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and to Eliezer, the priests, and to all the leaders of the congregation, which would include Joshua. And they did so, saying, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elela, Seba, Nebo, and Baon, the land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel, is a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. They recognize this land is fitting, it is vast, it's green for grazing. We want that land. And they said... If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. Now, we see um, that they offer a, a conditional request. They're saying, I know that God has promised us that land on the other side of the Jordan, but this land is perfect for us. We have lots of livestock. There's lots of green land for grazing. Can we stay here? Is that okay with you? Rather than taking the land on the other side of the Jordan. Now, we're going to see Moses' response to that request. And it's a, a pretty stern response. Let's pick up in verse 6. It says, But Moses said to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? Now, why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given to them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given to them. So the Lord's anger burned in that day, and he swore, saying, None of the men who come up from Egypt, from twenty years old and upward, shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. For they did not follow me fully, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Canaanite, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun. For they have followed the Lord fully. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. 
Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all of these people. That's pretty harsh, right? (laughs) Moses says, no, right? You're not going to take this land while your brothers go out to war. That's not how it's going to happen. He's dealing with some PTSD, right? From the last time when he sent these tribes in, or these spies in, they came back and they said, yeah, I don't think we can take it. And they paid the price for that. They spent 40 years walking around the the wilderness, and Moses said, yeah, that's not going to happen again. We're, we're not going to do that. You guys are being wicked and unfaithful and even making this request. Uh, he said that this is going to set a, a bad precedent for these other tribes. If just one by one, after one tribe receives their land, they kind of break off and they say, okay, you're, you're on your own. That's going to cause division within the camp. And uh, we see that Moses had this, this vision of disunity and seeking to avoid the wrath of God. But um, as we go on, we'll see that Moses was likely mistaken in uh, the intentions of the, the people of, of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh who were seeking this land for their livestock. Uh, let's pick up again in verse 16. Then they came near to him and they said, We will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. For we not only, for we not have We will not have an inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side of the Jordan toward the east. Now, we don't know for sure if this was their original plan or if they're kind of rolling with the punches and um, picking up on Moses' anger and saying, well, that's not what we had in mind. We We were always wanting to go and fight, right? But at any rate, that's where they've landed. They said, uh, we're just gonna, we want this land again for our livestock. We're going to go and we're going to help to fight. And then Moses' response in verse 20, Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord of the war and all of your armed men cross over into the Jordan before the Lord, remember back up in verse 17, they said, we'll go out before Israel. And he says, no, it's before the Lord that you're doing this. If you arm yourselves before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be free of obligation toward the Lord and toward Israel. And this land shall be yours for possession before the Lord. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sin will find you out. Build yourself cities and your little ones and sheepfolds for your sheep, and do whatever you have promised. And so ultimately, uh, Moses ends up offering his blessing. Again, we don't know if that was their original intent, if they intended on going into the land, but it seems as if Moses perhaps misunderstood what they were getting at. Moses, operating in his flesh, um, didn't quite pick, pick up what they were laying down. They say, we want this land for our livestock. We're going to go and we're going to fight. And Moses responded initially in wrath and in anger, but then he fully understood and he came around to their request and offered 
his blessing on their request. Uh, Matthew Henry has a, a quote for us here, and he has a take on uh, this whole situation. He says, For even then, in this time, when so much was done by the extraordinary appearances of divine providence, God was working in miraculous ways, right? Many things were left to the direction of human prudence. For God, in governing both the world and the church, makes use of the reason of men and serves his own purposes by it. So he's kind of taking the same understanding that I am, that he thinks, okay, well, Moses, he jumped to conclusions. He didn't want to deal with the, the wrath of God as he did before, so he right away, with his own understanding, said no. And God still uses our failed understanding and the complexities of men. Remember, this is real life. It's not always clean. It's often messy. And even though Moses seemed to misunderstand, uh, God was working through that. And we'll continue to see that throughout this book, that this is a very human book, a very messed up people that will make mistakes left and right, but God still works through that. God still brings about his purposes and what he's doing through his people in the book of Joshua. So uh, now that we have a, a little bit of background on these three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, let's jump back into Joshua 1 and see what it is that Joshua said to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He says, picking up in verse 13, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you shall cross over before your brothers in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest, as he gives you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And so he's essentially reiterating what we read about before. It's time to fight, right? You guys need to keep your promise. You say you're going to pick up arms and follow the rest of Israel into the promised land across Jordan. It's time to keep your word, word and then after you can have your reward from the Lord. Now these verses, these ones that I just read, verses 13 through 15, they are pretty much a, a direct quote of what Moses said back in Deuteronomy 3, uh, verses 18 through 20, as he was outlining uh, what was to happen with this second land that's on the, the east side of the Jordan. But then he has a, a couple of verses that he goes on to uh, write that I want to quote for us. This is Deuteronomy 3, 21 and 22. And Moses said, I commanded Joshua at that time, saying that your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. Talk about Og, king of Bashan, and Sihon, king of Heshbon, these regions that they had just barely conquered. So the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you are about to cross. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. And so Moses here is pointing back to God's faithfulness in the past, how God has brought them into the land that um, is on the east side of Jordan. He's given them a victory there. And he says, in the same way, God is going to give us victory in all this promised land that he has promised us. God is going to go before us. It is his work, his mission. And he is encouraging Joshua. He is encouraging the, the people of Israel by this, by looking to the past and what God has done in the past. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. Anytime that uh, 
God is referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It's a, a hearkening back to the faithfulness of God, that God has made this promise to these patriarchs. God was faithful to Abraham. God was faithful to Isaac. He was faithful to Jacob. And this same God is going to be faithful to, to you. He's going to bring you through and do what he has promised to do. God is faithful. Uh, we see in the, the next chapter, we'll be looking at shortly, in Joshua 2.10, it says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. This is uh, Rahab talking as she's uh, talking to these spies and um, professing God. So she says, We've heard that your God went in. He dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, to so those who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. So she was able to look at the past and say, okay, well, that's, that's a mighty God. That's a God who brought them up out of Egypt. He split the Red Sea. He came in. He gave them this victory on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, I think I'm going to listen and heed your warning, right? And she ends up working with these spies. Uh, again, in, in chapter 4, we see that after they cross over the Jordan, that they are commanded to take these stones and set them up as a memorial for the same purpose so that we can look back at what God has done in the past, how God has been faithful. And based upon that, we can know that he will be faithful. And just as Moses was doing that with Joshua and trying to build him up and encourage him, Joshua has inherited that understanding, that certainty in the faithfulness of God. And he's pointing the Israelite people to God's faithfulness, pointing back to how God has been faithful and he will be faithful. He is trying to encourage them with that same certainty. Just as we saw back in verse 11, where he says, we're going into a land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. He does the same thing here at the end of verse 13. He says, with certainty, the Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. He doesn't say, well, maybe God will give you this. Maybe if you're um, really lucky, God is going to give you this land. No, he has certainty that God will give him this land. And he is leading in confidence. He is demonstrating confident leadership here. And it is so much easier to follow somebody when they are a, a confident leader, isn't it? Especially when they rest and uh, ground that confidence in God and God's promises. And this leader has been established and appointed by God himself. It becomes a lot easier to follow that kind of a, a leader. But remember that Joshua still isn't Moses, right? Moses is, uh, he's a legend by this point. Uh, I think he's always been a legend, but I, in the, the minds of these people afterward, I think they still see Moses as the the legendary leader of Israel. And in fact, he's the one to whom they made this vow initially, saying they, they made this deal. Okay, we'll stay here. You give us this land, and then we'll go in after. But now Moses is dead. So uh, it's possible that some of these people were thinking, okay, well, Moses isn't here, so, so maybe I'll just dip. Maybe I'll just stay back in this land with my livestock, my wives, and my kids. Um, but if we read on, we'll see that that is, in fact, not how they respond, even though that might be how you or I would be tempted to respond. Remember, these were real people, so I have no doubt some of them had that, mind, that thought cross their mind as well. But in verse 16, we see uh, that they do demonstrate full submission to, to Joshua. They answered Joshua, saying, All that you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. 
Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. So in the same sense that Joshua has embraced his role as leader and he's come on the scene, he's uh, obeying God, he's uh, delegating and he is preparing and he is sending these people out to, to get ready to cross the land. Uh, we see that these people have also embraced Joshua in his role as leader. And they say, okay, well, we're going to, to listen to you just like we listened to Moses. We're going to be obedient. We're going to follow you. But if you are anything like me, you might be questioning whether or not they are really going to do that. Maybe you're, you're skeptical because talk is cheap, right? Anybody can say that they're going to do something. And as a matter of fact, Israel doesn't have the, the best history at being faithful and following through with their word, do they? Uh, I have this other quote here from, from David Howard Jr. He says, If the promise was to obey Joshua in the same way that they obeyed Moses, the prospects were not bright as they might first appear, since, of course, they did not fully obey Moses. They had sworn obedience, saying that everything the Lord has said we will do, and we will do everything that the Lord has said, and we will obey, in Exodus 24, verses 3 and 7. Yet within a very short time, Aaron was leading the people in building a golden calf, and the Israelites subsequently, their, the Israelites' history is replete with examples of complaining and rebellion and outright discipline. So if they're saying, yeah, just like we followed Moses, we're going to follow you. Just like we obeyed him, we're going to follow you. Uh, perhaps that gave Joshua a little bit more pause than it did encouragement. Um, but remember, back in verse 5, God said that he will lead Joshua in the same way, just as he led Moses. So surely he found a lot more encouragement in that. But uh, let's, let's just take a, a sneak peek um, at how faithful they were at obeying Joshua, following Joshua. A little spoiler alert here. Uh, let's turn forward to Joshua chapter 22, and let's see how faithful uh, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were in their... Uh, helping in this conquest and following Joshua. Starting in verse 1. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And you have listened to my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days to this day, but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he has spoken to them. Therefore, turn now and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord God, gave you beyond the Jordan. Isn't that sweet that they, we see at the end that they actually did follow through, that they were faithful, and God said, okay, well, you kept your, your promise to me. I'm going to keep my promise to you. You can go back to your land. You can have this rest. Uh, that's nice to see because Israel didn't always respond in that way. We don't always see that kind of faithful obedience from them. Um, but we can see that with them, that they kept their promise not only to, to Moses and Joshua, not only to their brothers, but to God themselves. And now they were blessed with this ability to go back and to enjoy their land. They were given their reward. But remember, we just took a peek at the end, right? Um, they're not there yet. Uh, back in Joshua 1, at the end of 17, this phrase kind of puzzles me a little bit, um, where it says, okay, well, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we will obey you as well. 
But then they follow that up by saying, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. I don't know if that's a, a veiled warning of sorts. If uh, maybe there's some subtle skepticism there where they're saying, yes, we'll obey you, but uh, I, I hope God blesses you like he blessed Moses. Uh, maybe it's an encouraging admonition. I don't really know. It could be a, a number of different things. Uh, and it's likely that it could be all of those things. When God gave us his word, he didn't give us little emojis next to it to help us understand and interpret, right? Uh, sometimes when you get a text, you can read that kind of ambivalently, ambivalently and not really know what does that person mean. And then you get a, a smiley face or a frowny face afterwards. Uh, perhaps if the Bible did have emojis, this might have a, a threatening knife next to it or a, a horse's head, right? Um, hopefully, only may the Lord your God be with you like he was with Moses. Um, or perhaps maybe it's a, a thumbs up with a smiley face. I'm not really sure. But again, people are messy and this is real history. And surely while this was the general consensus of the people, uh, they didn't all call out in unison, it, like in verse 16, all that you have commanded, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Not every single person called out in, in unison with that response, right? This was a, a group of, of mixed people, real people who were sinful. And while this was the representative response, uh, I have no doubt that perhaps there was some discussion or some disagreement amongst them what we have here is more like the, the minutes of a meeting, right? This is the settled response that came from the people. But we do see um, that their settled response was a good one. We're going to follow you. We're going to obey you. And they even go a step further. In verse 18, it says, Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you commanded him shall be put to death. They are demonstrating true and total fealty to their new leader. Uh, that They are loyal even to the point of death. They are here making a, a vow, a pact of sorts, saying, yes, we're going to follow you. In fact, we're going to uh, encourage everybody else to follow you. We're going to lift ourselves up to this standard. And if somebody doesn't follow you, that person's going to die. That's pretty serious. They are pretty seriously following after uh, their new leader, their new commander that God has given to them uh, seeking to assure Joshua of their allegiance to him. But yet, at the end of verse 18, another curious phrase, only be strong and courageous. Again, uh, maybe this was just reinforced encouragement, trying to lift up Joshua. Perhaps there was a, a hint of exhortation there. Um, I'm not really sure. But I think that overall, they, they were faithful to God and they were realizing uh, their their new leader, and putting their trust in him. Later on in chapter 3, verse 7, uh, it, God says to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you also. I think that these other tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh, they kind of led the way in that understanding and that realization that Joshua is the man of God, that God is working through Joshua in the same way that he was working through Moses, that they are leading in this submission campaign to understand that Joshua is the leader and encouraging others to look at him as the leader. But again, people are messy, right? This is real life 
people are sinful, they're wicked, uh, confusing, and perhaps they weren't fully convinced themselves that in some sense they were unsettled in their mind as to whether or not they were really going to follow after Joshua, as to whether or not they were really going to follow through and go in and, and take this land as they had promised to do. They didn't have the luxury like we do of skipping to the end and seeing uh, how did it turn out. Were they really faithful? They were in the midst of things as this was all unfolding. I think it's more than likely some, at least, were conflicted within themselves and perhaps saying, yeah, we're, we'll follow you. We'll, we'll go after you. Just please don't screw up, right? Uh, only, only may the Lord bless you as he blessed Moses. Uh, I think that's a, a real possibility, at least for some. And kind of reminds me of uh, the story in Mark chapter 9, right, where Jesus goes in, he's casting out this, this wicked demon out of this boy, this wicked demon who is constantly throwing this boy into convulsions, causing him to fall into a fire, causing him to fall into water. And the, the father of this boy, he calls out to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, please, please take pity on us and, and help us. And Jesus says, what are, what are you talking about? If I can do anything, of course I can do anything. Uh, all things are possible for him who believes. And the man responds in one of the most honest statements in Scripture, I think. He says, Jesus, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Uh, again, real people, right? This is a, a real book, and, and that's real. That it's not always clean, right? We can say, um, again, yes, God led his people into Egypt and out of Egypt and into the promised land. But Scripture is a whole lot more messy than that because our lives are a whole lot more messy than that. Uh, and you and I too, we live messy, jacked up lives just like the, the people of the Bible did. And perhaps you guys have been coming here for a while and uh, you've been hearing some stuff, you've been lo learning and, and growing, and yet you have not yet submitted your, your life to Christ. Perhaps you have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus as your master, as your Lord, as your commander. You have not taken and placed him as king in your life, just as the Israelites were seemingly, at least in my mind, kind of reading between the lines. They were looking at Joshua and saying, yes, you are our, our leader. Um, maybe you haven't done that with, with Christ. Um, and perhaps you are kind of like Moses in misunderstanding the intentions of the tribes. Remember, he thought, well, you guys just want to sit at home. You don't want to go in and help. Uh, perhaps for a time you were misunderstanding uh, different aspects of the gospel, the fact that Jesus truly is God in the flesh, the fact that Jesus does offer salvation by grace apart from works, apart from anything that we do. Perhaps you have at some point misunderstood that Jesus did die for your sin. It was a real true death. And he really was resurrecting. It was a real true resurrection. And the implications of that, that our sin deserves a, a penalty, that our sin deserves death. And Jesus took that upon himself and he offered to pay for our sins. And again, perhaps you've been coming here for a while and God has been revealing different truths to you, that you've been understanding intellectually different things, different aspects of the Bible and what it is that God has done for you, who it is that he is and who you are in light of him. But if 
that's all you've done, if that's as far as you've gone, just understanding these things about Jesus, about who he is, then I have to tell you, you haven't done anything greater than the demons who understand that there is one God and, and they shudder. We have to do more than understand the fact that Jesus is God, more than understand these truths about Jesus, about who he is. We need to bow the knee to Jesus. We need to submit to him. We need to understand that he is our king. He is our Lord, that he is not just the creator. He is not just the God of the universe. He's not just the God-man, but he needs to be your savior, right? Not just the savior. And that is absolutely my prayer for us today, that we would have that understanding, that we would submit to him as our leader, as our master, as our Lord. Let today be the day of your salvation. We're not promised tomorrow. Our life is a vapor. Our life is a mist. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Let us learn from these Israelites who were willing to say, yes, we submit. Yes, we want to obey. Let us do that in our lives with our King, with our Savior, who is far greater, far more mighty than Joshua, far more able. Our King who has taken the sin of the world and he's placed it upon his shoulders. He has laid down his life for his sheep. Let's pray. God, we do want to recognize you as the great I am, as the one who is without beginning, without end, from everlasting to everlasting. We recognize that you and you alone are God. God, I pray that that would be a, a recognition that we would each have in our own lives as we contemplate our relationship with you, who it is that you are, who it is that we are, and how we relate to you. God, I pray that we would indeed be children of the Most High God, that we would be adopted by you. God, I thank you once again for uh, the, the truth of your word, for the, the real people throughout history who struggled, who... Uh, got things wrong just as Moses got things wrong and made assumptions they they questioned they doubted God we are in that same boat we are so fallen so imperfect but we pray and we plead with you that you would make us uh, perfect and righteous before you positionally and that you would be working within our lives within our hearts practically to to align our position with our practice that we would become more and more holy more and more like you each and every day living for you as we walk in this messed up fallen world, even as messed up fallen people, help us to do so as a, a group of people who are holy, who are set apart unto the Lord, who lift you up and point to Jesus as the one who can save all people from, from our sins. God, we thank you for, uh, for salvation. Thank you for the cross, thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for this group of people, for your church. Amen.